But I'm excited to dive in today. We are in part four, our final installment of our Diary of a Dreamer series, looking at the life of Joseph. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this as much as I have, looking at his life and gleaning some principles and how we can fulfill the God dreams that he's given us in this life. And today we're going to be looking at the dream coming to fulfillment in Genesis 45. As I was thinking of fulfilled dreams, I was reminded of my oldest daughter, Hannah. Four years ago, she told Christina and I about two dreams she had in her heart. She said, Dad, I want to go to New York City and Paris, France. I said, well, slow your roll in Paris right now, girl. Come on. Mr. Budget says no. Come on. But two years after that, right when New York kind of reopened from the pandemic, I took her to New York. And it was so amazing to see her at that time. It was a seven-year-old. Her eyes had a sparkle looking at the skyscrapers and Times Square. And then she smelled the trash on the street and said, Dad, when can we go home? Come on, somebody. (laughs) If you're from New York, we love you. Uh, We just think D.C.'s better. Um, But seeing a dream come to fulfillment was, was a beautiful thing as her father. And can I tell you? God loves to see the dreams he has given you come to fulfillment. Can I get an amen? Amen. As much as I love my daughter, God loves you far more. Our heavenly father has far more love for us than we can even fathom in our earthly minds. And he wants to see the dreams that he's given us come to fulfillment. And we're going to talk today at the very end of the dream coming to pass. What are some principles that we can glean to see The dreams that God's given us come to fulfillment in our life. But first, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It truly is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. As we open it today, God, we posture our hearts and our minds to receive what you want to speak to us about today. We love you. We honor you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. I want to give you three truths. If you're new to Catalyst, we teach in series. Uh, And we we typically will do four or five weeks, and this is the end of the series. But to give you a little bit of framework, if you have been a part of this series, this is a review for you. Um, But a little bit about a God dream compared to just any dream that I think I want to make sure we grasp and take hold of. Here's the first truth, and we're going to dive into our text, is that God dreams are from God as contrast to any sort of selfish ambition we may have. Go back to week one if you missed it. We talked about how to receive a dream from God. How does God give us vision and dreams for our future? Then secondly, this is really important, God dreams are intended to serve others. It's not about building your platform, cushioning your CV, just building and amassing wealth. It's ultimately about serving humanity, blessing people. What does the scripture say? Jesus came to serve and not to be served. And then lastly is that God dreams give God glory. It's not about us. Whatever God wants to build in your life is the ultimate to give him all of the honor and all of the glory. Can I get an amen? So that's important to differentiate. What's a God dream as something that, man, I have this dream that might be selfish ambition. Is, is, and again, go back and listen to the previous three messages But I want to read Genesis 45, and let me give a little bit of context, and we're going to read 11 verses of Scripture. Is Last week, Christina preached on Joseph in the prison, and he he interprets the the dream of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh elevates him to second in command. 
And while being second in command, Egypt is experiencing a famine. Everyone's coming to Egypt. And his brothers show up, the same brothers that sold him into slavery. And as they show up, there's a Genesis 42, 43, and 44. You'll see they kind of go back and forth. And Joseph had not yet revealed himself to his brothers. But in Genesis 45, it's, it's sort of the big reveal. And that's what we're going to read today. So if you have your, scripture, your Bibles, if not, it'll be on the screens. Genesis 45, verse 1, it says this, that Joseph could no longer control himself. Before all his attendants, he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept, watch this, so loudly the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Come on, you know you're crying loud when your neighbors hear you. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. They were thinking, he is about to kill us. <laughs> Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, and no one you, the one you sold into Egypt. Now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve you as a remnant on the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of the entire household, ruler of all of Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me the Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You and your children, your grandchildren, your flocks and your herds and all you have. And I will provide for you there. So Joseph, his dream comes to pass. Didn't look like what he originally envisioned. He saw his brothers bowing down to him. What he didn't see was he was serving them. And in this moment of the fulfillment of the dream that we see that, that God brings about Joseph's dream. And let me just be clear about the life of Joseph. Joseph is not the hero. God is. Can we remind ourselves this morning, you are not the hero. Come on, somebody. You know you're broken. You know you're messed up. Come on. And if you don't, your spouse will tell you you are. Come on, somebody. Or your roommate. But listen. But here's the beautiful thing. God will use broken, imperfect, sinful people like you, like me, to do incredible things. That's the good news of the gospel. It's not contingent upon your merit, your morality, or your integrity, or your excellence. It's trusting in God. And what we see in the life of Joseph, and my hope for you and me, is that we see his dream come to fruition because he trusted in and relied upon God. God wants to do it in your life as well. I want to draw out three principles, though, on what this trust looks like in the life of Joseph. And I want us to take hold of these and apply these to our life. Here's the first point, if you're taking notes. In order for us to see a dream come to fulfillment, we must release the poison of bitterness. We must release the poison of bitterness. Now, I can imagine if my brother sold me into slavery, I would probably have some difficulty with forgiveness. Uh, that, that Joseph, in fact, we see in Genesis 41, it actually says this. Joseph says, I have had so much success that it's made me forget my family. 
Come on, you might be bitter if you're like, forget them jokers. Come on, somebody. If you can forget your family, you might have some unforgiveness in your heart. That he was like, you know what, forget them, I am moving on. So we see Joseph, who says in Genesis 41, forget them, embracing them in Genesis 45. This tells us between 41 and 45, there was probably some work that God did in Joseph's heart. that He was able to forgive them and to release bitterness. You know, Jesus said in the Gospels, offenses will come. Can I tell you, on your journey to fulfill the dream God's given you, on your journey to fulfill the purpose God has for you, there will be people who will wrong you. There will be a coworker who will talk behind your back, a family member who will judge your intentions. Come on, you'll have some haters. Come on, somebody. You'll have some people that you thought were going to be for you, and you will feel like they're against you. But here's what Christ says in the Gospels and all throughout Scriptures, and write this down. Offenses will come, but being offended is a choice. And can I just help somebody out today? I'm trying to help you out as your pastor. Ready? If you are a follower of Jesus, you have no right to be offended. None at all. You want to know why? You want to know why? Listen, because Christ has forgiven you. And if he's not offended at you for your sin, we have no right to be offended at anybody else. Now, this is far easier to preach and live out. <laughs> but it's a beautiful truth and a powerful truth if we embrace it. Because can I tell you, listen, John Bevere, an author, wrote a book on offense. Called, he called it The Bait of Satan. That Satan uses offense and bitterness to bring destruction into our lives. If you want some summer reading, read that one. It's a great book. But here's what, here's what the author of Hebrews says about bitterness. He says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root caught, grow, grows up to cause trouble. Watch this. And defile many. In the Old Testament, bitterness was associated with wickedness and, and demonic power. Because they saw bitterness will reap destruction into your life. You know, after Christina and I got married and moved up into the D.C. area years ago, we had moved from a, we were in a condo for several years into our first townhome. And we had this, like, in the townhome in the backyard, this little yard, had a little, like, a little bit of dirt. And we were going to plant, we were going to exercise our green thumb. Come on. We're going to plant some flowers. We're going to have, like, the Garden of Eden back there. Without the serpents. And uh, so we go to plant some flowers. And we're like, man, this is going to look amazing in like four weeks. We, we like come out. It's not the Garden of Eden. It's got weed infestation. Like weeds were everywhere. Like it choked out the flowers we planted. And we realized we didn't root out the weeds before we planted the flowers. And many of you know this. Weeds have adaptive genetics, meaning weeds live even when everything else dies. It's like weeds have a way to just like weeds grow faster than the average crabgrass or grass. Weeds grow faster than flowers. And listen, in the same way weeds grow and infest, so does bitterness in your heart. And if you have unforgiveness and bitterness towards your family of origin, be careful because it will spread into your marriage right now. Your bitterness from your last relationship and what your ex did, you'll find you'll be struggling with bitterness in your current relationship. Your bitterness from your last job, you'll carry into your next job. 
Come on, if you have the same problems everywhere you go, the common denominator might be you. Okay, you got a little quiet on that one. It's okay. <laughs> I've seen it. Listen, we have to deal with it. Have you ever realized this too? It's often easier to see bitterness in somebody else than we see it ourselves. You ever met somebody and you heard the way they talked about their boss and you were like, oof, there's something right there, there's something right there. <laughs> or the way they talked about their ex and you're like, ooh, I think, oof, and you talk to Jesus. <laughs> but we don't often see it in ourselves. And bitterness, the Bible says, it defiles many. It spreads. It reaps destruction in our lives. As the Old Testament points to, it's demonic, it's wicked, and it will destroy the dreams that God has given you. So what must we do? Heed the words of the Apostle Paul, Ephesians 4.31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Paul says bitterness is like anger and rage and slander and malice. You know the Bible says that unchecked anger gives the devil a foothold in your life? Like when you have anger and bitterness, Paul says in Ephesians 4, it gives the enemy opportunity to bring destruction into your life. That's why it's so important we get rid of it. We get it out of it. In the same way we had to dig in the dirt and uproot the weeds, you're going to have to uproot bitterness in your life. And bitterness will happen. Offenses will happen. What's the antidote to bitterness? Here's the good news. It's forgiveness. Verse 32, the next verse, Paul says this, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, watch this, just as Christ God forgave you. You know, I was thinking about antidotes because we have three young kids, so in the Burroughs household, usually once a month, somebody is sick. Can any parents relate to this? Like, I'm telling you what, we give that pediatrician lots of money. Come on, somebody. Um, uh, but also, because of it, it's typically like an ear infection or some kind of bacterial or virus. Uh, you know, I always kind of joke from September to, to April, there's a running nose at all times in our household. I know it's disgusting. Pray for me. Um, but we have, so we have several bottles of amoxicillin at any time in our fridge. And our kids, anybody else get, like our kids hate amoxicillin. Like when they have to take it you know, for seven days, and, and it's like hostile negotiation to get them to take it. Like we have to be like, we will give you a candy bar if you just drink this. <laughs> we will bake a cake for you if you'll drink this. Like we've mixed it in yogurt. Like we poured sugar in it. I mean, we do it every day, right? Like, even when our kids take it, they're like a little sip, and they're like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> it takes about 30 minutes to take, like, you know, five milliliters of amoxicillin. And even though, here, here's the thing, because we're like, even though it's hard to get down, it will heal their body. Hey, listen to this. Forgiveness can be hard to do, but it will heal your soul. I'm going to be honest. There are people I have forgiven, can I be honest with you, that I still don't feel like forgiving. Don't wait till when you feel like forgiving, you may go to your grave with unforgiveness. You may live with bitterness. There are times I find in my own life that I don't feel like forgiving them, but guess what? I have to forgive them anyway. And Paul reminds us. Here's the Apostle Paul. 
who he had lots of offense against him. I mean, he was beaten, left for dead, imprisoned, shipwrecked, all kinds of stuff. And he says, as you forgive, watch this, just as Christ has forgiven you. You know, in ancient Egypt, the culture was known to be ruthless, unforgiving. And Joseph forgave. It was countercultural to forgive. And can I encourage us today in 2023 or whenever you're watching online, in a culture where it's common to cancel, we are called to forgive like Christ. And if you ever have a hard time saying, well, pastor, you don't know what they did to me. You're right. I don't know. But I do have an inclination because of your humanity, what you've done against Christ. And you have to remember that God's forgiven you. That God forgave you when you were prideful and you judged your coworker this week at work. God forgave you when you were scrolling social media and jealousy gripped your heart and you were discontent with the life God's given you. That you were, you, God's forgiven you when greed gripped your heart for a moment and you had an opportunity to be generous, but you withheld. Man, God has forgiven us and forgiven us and forgiven us and forgiven us. If you are a Christ follower, we have no right to remain offended and we have no right not to forgive. That's why when Peter said, hey, Jesus, how many times do I forgive? And he said 70 times 7, which means you just keep forgiving. You never stop forgiving. It is the antidote to bitterness in our life. I love what Nelson Mandela said. He said, as I walked out the door of the prison towards the gate that would lead to my freedom. I knew that if I did not leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I would still be in prison. You gotta release the poison of bitterness. Here's number two, is you then have to remember that positions and power are given to serve people. Joseph is here in Egypt living his best life. I mean, eating the finest foods, living in the palace. He's wearing the finest linens. Like, like he's like, he's living the life right now. And then all of a sudden, his brothers walk up on the scene. Have you ever been to a party before? And you're having a great time, but then that one person shows up that you don't like, and you feel like the party's ruined? You're like, I got I to gotta go. I got to go. That coworker shows up, your ex shows up. Come on, if that per- if that person who you thought just thought of is with you, just look straight ahead. Just look straight ahead. But we've all been there, right? Where you've been somewhere having a great time, and you're like, "What in the world is he doing here?" Like if I was Joseph, I would have been like, "That's it, guards, arrest them, arrest them right now." That's why I'm not in the Bible. Joseph is. Lock those jokers up. But Joseph's dream was continually interrupted. It was interrupted when he was sold into slavery. It was interrupted, you might say, when he was put into prison and falsely accused. And now here he is, like, living the fullness. He's interrupted by his brothers. And it reminds me of somebody else in the New Testament who was continually interrupted. His name is Jesus. You know, if you read the Gospels, a large number of the miracles Jesus performed were interruptions. Jairus interrupted Jesus in the street, and Jesus raised his daughter back from the dead. Blind Bartimaeus said, hey, son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus opened his blind eyes. A few friends interrupted Jesus while he was teaching and came through the roof, and Jesus healed their friend. His disciples interrupted him while taking a nap. Come on, somebody. 
if you want the worst of me, interrupt my nap. <laughs> and Jesus calmed the storm. I'd have been like, you calm it yourself. You just interrupted my REM cycle. But Jesus was continually interrupted. This, this is a challenge for me. Can I be honest with you? I don't like to be interrupted. Like I, I got, I usually schedule out like my 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 week, my days to the to like to the minute, and like I have it all like mapped out. I don't got time for interruptions. Anybody else with me? Like, I, and for me, like when I get on an airplane, I don't know if anybody else is like me with this. When I get on an airplane, I immediately when I sit down, I put on the universal sign of "Do not talk to me." My headphones. Come on, if you're a flight attendant, I'm sorry. But I put it on during the safety briefing. I'm like, I know. I know where the floaty thing is. I know. I know. I'm good. I don't want anybody talking to me. I got some work to do. Like, I love to work on planes. But I don't want to hear someone's life story. So I like to have my little, my, 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 my noise-canceling headphones. You're like my best friend. Come on, somebody. It's like an introvert's best friend is noise-canceling headphones. Because you put these on, and all of a sudden, it's just you. Boom. I can't hear myself, so i got to take them off. <laughs> but I, the other day I was at home, and I was working, and I had these on because i got three kids. <laughs> and my youngest daughter comes up to me and says, uh, Daddy. And I take them off for a second. I said, I, said, I said, Abigail, Daddy's working right now. Come back later. And that moment the Holy Spirit convicted me. And he said, Jeremy, your daughter's on an interruption. She's an invitation for you to love her as a father. Yes. And I put my headphones right back on. I said, okay, Lord. <laughs> Come on, I need Jesus too. Don't play me. Hey, can I just say this to you? <laughs> I need help. Hey, listen, all sincerity, listen. Perhaps, here's the thought I had after that moment I have all, had all week. Perhaps what if what we view as interruptions, see, the life of Jesus, the interruptions turned into invitations for the miraculous. Perhaps we're missing out on the miracle working power of God because we're too busy. And we're actually walking through life with like noise canceling headphones because of our own plans. And we actually aren't sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit that often come in the form of a coworker knocking on your door, of somebody calling you out of the blue, of a child parent trying to get your attention, of that neighbor who tries to strike up a conversation while you're coming home and in and out. Perhaps we miss out on opportunities to experience the miraculous because of our busyness. And listen, I'm all about have plans. Man, but allow yourself this week to be interrupted. Like, allow, give your schedule. You know what you never see with Jesus? You never see Jesus wanting the Gospels frustrated at being interrupted. That challenges me because that's not me all the time. But, but he always had an opportunity. Why? Because he saw it. That interruptions are invitations for us minimally to love the people that God's placed around us. And Joseph embraced this. And then in verse 18, he gives them, he says, I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and enjoy the fat of the land. So Joseph leveraged his position and his power as second in command to bless his family. 
He didn't leverage his position and power to take advantage of them for his own advantage. He blessed them. He gave them the very best. In fact, this is, this is intriguing. You know, they sold Joseph for 15 shekels of silver into slavery. Do you know he gave just one of his brothers 20 times that amount in silver? Like he blessed them. He, he leveraged what God had given him to bless others, and that's the model that we're supposed to embrace. In fact, Jesus lived it out, Philippians 2. In a couple of weeks, we're going to preach Philippians 2 this in, in greater depth, but it says this in verse 5, that in our relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ, who being in the very nature of God, watch this, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. That he emptied himself. He didn't use his p- position and power. Jesus could have easily used his power and come off that cross, but he didn't for you and me. And that's our model. You know, years ago when I was in college, I worked at a Nike factory store. My first week in working there, they had me shadow this one employee because... My, my, my boss was like, she's the model for how to sell, sell shoes and sell merchandise. She was great at it, the, the number one salesperson. So for a week, I just saw the way she navigated conversation. She gave me the 411 on sneakers and, how, you know, what each ones do and which ones run wide and which ones run narrow. And gave me the 411 on merchandise so that I could become an effective salesperson. If you are a follower of Christ, our model Jesus. And the Bible tells us he came to serve, not to be served. That he was often moved with compassion towards people. That he took the lowliest form of a servant and washed his disciples' feet. He laid down his life so that we could have life. He gave up his power so we could be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we are called to do the same thing. Now, I love Matthew 16, 25, and I'm going to read the message translation. This translation is a paraphrased translation, and uh, it was written by a pastor, Eugene Peterson, for his congregation to better understand the Bible. It's a great companion to your Bible reading plan, but I love how he wrote it here. These are the words of Jesus paraphrased, that self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. Many of you know this. You've been around Catalyst. I am pro uh, taking care of yourself, pro getting therapy. I myself see a counselor regularly. I used to work in mental health. But can I also submit this? I think there's also an underlining danger to our self-help therapeutic culture today. Because the Bible doesn't say the way to true life is helping yourself. The Bible says the way to life is to lose it. Take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Be careful because self-help will not lead you to finding true life. Can I get an amen? But it's laying your life down. It's countercultural, I know. It's counter the cultural's message. Take care of yourself. But listen, be careful you're not so consumed with taking care of yourself that you're not laying down your life for God and for other people. Because you won't find fulfillment. Fulfillment is found in self-sacrifice, not in self-help. You know, I at times struggle with discontentment. 
I know nobody else in the room does, but, you know, just pray for me. All right, that was a joke. We'll move on. (laughs) But here's what I found in my own life. Whenever I am discontent with where I am, with whatever area of my life, I'm usually focusing on what I want. When I get my eyes off myself and I just serve the people around me, you know what I found? Discontentment's power weakens. Because contentment with godliness, Paul writes in Timothy, is great gain. You know how you find contentment? When you get your eyes off of yourself and onto Christ and serving other people. Just try it this week. If you're discontent at work, go into work and say, you know what, I'm not here, about, it's not, not about my career and pushing forward. I'm going to come in tomorrow morning and I'm going to serve the patients before me. I'm going to serve my coworkers. I'm going to serve my clients. Watch what's going to happen to your heart. Hey, today when you go home, serve your family. Watch what will happen in your heart. Discontentment will weaken over time. That we are called to leverage the position and the power and the places that God has given us to serve people. That's why we as a church do serve day. We don't have to. Do you know why we do? Because we have, we have a fairly large number of people who call Catalyst home. And we get an opportunity to say, hey, everybody. That's why we want all of you to be a part of this. Let's serve the community. And you know what you know what happens? There are nonprofits all throughout this county in DC who look forward to our three serve days a year. Do you know that Montgomery County Coalition for the Homeless said we are their largest partner consistently? Do you want to know why we're doing? We're leveraging the position and place and power that God has given us to bless a community. Yes. And you are called to do the same thing. God's given you position and power and influence. He's put you in certain places. He hasn't put you in that workplace for your own glory, but for his. He hasn't given you power to build your own platform, but to build his kingdom. So we leverage it to serve people and to love people. And listen, this is cliche, but it's true. You have been blessed by God to be a blessing. And if you live in the D.C. metropolitan area, on average, compared to the world as a whole, we have been blessed financially. And we are called to leverage our finances to live a generous life, to be a blessing to the world around us, to be a blessing to people. I'll say it this way. We have been gifted to be a gift to others. All of us were blessed this morning by our worship team and our production team. If you believe that, can you say amen? amen? Come on. We're being blessed right now, parents, by our kids' team, by our students' team, teaching our kids the Bible. Like we are, we're, we're blessed by other people's gifts Here's my question for you. Let me make it practical. Tomorrow morning as you go to work, how can you bless your coworkers, your clients, your boss? Hey, listen, what if you begin to view your work not as a way to boost your own resume and your own position, but a way to serve people? When you go home tonight, what if you look for ways to bless your roommate? to bless your spouse, to bless your kids. Hey, here's a part of the church. If this is your church home, you are called to be a part of what we call the dream team and use your gifts to serve other people. How can you leverage your gifts? Come to next steps. Leverage your gifts to serve people wherever you are, everywhere you go. We are called to leverage our positions, our power, and the place where we are to bless other people. And we're going to do it in a big way next week at Serve Day. Here's point number three. So we have to release the poison of bitterness. We have to 
Remember that positions and power have been given to us to serve people. And then we have to, number three, rely on God who works all things together for good. Three times in this passage, Joseph says, God sent me. He says, you may have sold me, but God sent me. You may have sinned against me, but it was God who sent me. That word sent is a verb in the original Hebrew. It actually connotates authority. It meaning regardless of whatever his brothers did to sin against him, God's sending trumped whatever wrong they did. That God's word has authority over anybody else's. That God's actions have authority over anybody else's actions. And can I encourage someone this morning, regardless of what anybody else has done against you to wrong you, whatever ex, whatever boss, whatever coworker, whatever family member has done against you, God can redeem it for good for you. This is who God is. That regardless of whether they sinned against him, it was God who sent him and did something good through him. It reminds you of the proverb that tells us that many are the plans in a man's, in a person's heart. But it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. God's purposes prevail. So regardless of what someone's intended to do to you, can I tell you, nobody can thwart the purposes of God. Can I get an amen? The Bible says all of God's promises and words will return full. It won't return empty. I was reminded years ago when we had, didn't have Abigail yet. Our two oldest were younger. Judah was about three. We went to a kid's museum. And um, I'm a pretty calm guy. But if you cross my kids, I'll punch you in the throat, okay? I'll ask for forgiveness, but I will punch you in the throat, okay? No. Should take that out of online. <laughs> Forgive me, Lord. So uh, we're at this museum, and I watched this, like, eight-year-old girl, like, double the size of you to take his suitcase. He has, a little play, he has a little toy suitcase he's playing with, a little three-year-old Judah, adorable. This girl snatched it from him. I am said, where's her father? I'm going to fight him right now. And uh, so I walked over to the little girl, and I said, and, and I noticed, like, Judah's kind of sitting there like, oh, like, what's happened? So I go to the girl, little girl, a little gently, lovingly. I said, hey, did you take that from him? She said, yes. I said, then you need to give it back to him. And she did. And Judah afterwards, I said, Judah, if somebody takes something from you, you look at them lovingly but sternly, and you say, give it back. And he now does that. And I said, if they don't get it back, you come get your daddy. <laughs> because your dad's purposes will prevail over anybody else's plan. Hey, listen. It doesn't matter what anybody else has tried to do to you. Harm you. Hurt you. Come against you. God's purpose will prevail. Yes. Do you believe it, church? Amen. Five chapters later, Genesis 50, 20. He's talking to his brothers, and Joseph says this. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. It's intriguing. He says, you intended to harm me. 
know what that tells us? I, I, it can be a hard truth. We're all broken. There might be people that you thought would be for you as you pursue the, God, the dream God's given you that won't be for you. Have you experienced this? There will be people that you thought would encourage you that might talk behind your back. There were people who you thought would always be there for you that when the rubber hits the pavement, they're not there for you. That's just humanity. There will be people like Joseph. And we see it all throughout Scripture, right? The closest, one of the closest people to Jesus, Judas, betrayed him. Peter denied him. Come on, somebody. If Jesus, who was perfect, had a hater, you're going to have some haters. Come on, somebody. Not everyone's going to love you. I know you're lovable, but not everyone's going to love you. Not everyone's going to be for you. Not everyone's going to be encouraging. But here's what I want you to catch. Joseph's brothers, as we read the text, you know, Joseph was this dream. He had this dream from God. And then the Bible says he was his father's favorite. So Joseph's brothers tried to thwart his destiny out of their own insecurity. Hey, can I encourage you? Do not allow somebody else's insecurity to stop you from walking into your God-given destiny. Like your destiny is too important. God is too important for you to allow somebody else's insecurity to stop you from walking in your destiny. Joseph didn't. I'm reminded of Romans 8.31 that tells us this, that Paul writes that if God is for us, who can ever be against us as we are fulfilling the purposes that God has given us? When we started Catalyst Church, I, I reached out to a large number of pastors. And 99.9% of those I talked to were incredibly gracious and generous, gave me wisdom. In fact, the one pastor I spoke for last weekend he, he invested so much into myself personally, our church. So many, that this church wouldn't, like all of life. How many know what God wants to do in your life is going to involve other people? Can I get an amen? People who are going to be for you and pray for you and invest into you. And, and we're called to be that for other people. That's why I love now investing into other churches and church planters. Because I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for these people. There was one pastor I remember I met with. And I had known him for about nine years. So we kind of had a, had a history, and I asked him, I kinda, he kind of knows this area, and I said, hey, you know, I remember telling him before we started Catalyst, hey, we're, we're, we feel called to plant a church in Bethesda, because God spoke to us, many of you know this, in prayer to plant a church here. And um, his response to me was, he says, Bethesda? He said, who plants a church in Bethesda? Here's why. I don't know if you realize this, but there's not... Um, Bethesda has pricey real estate. <laughs> it's hard to find parking. And venues are hard to come by. All things you need when you plant a church. So he had good intentions. But he kind of made me think, like, well, maybe we should go to Germantown. Come on, Germantown has more parking. <laughs> maybe Columbia. They got big parking lots in Columbia. And here's what I was confronted with. Whose word am I going to believe? God who said plant a church in Bethesda or this person's doubt but a church being planted in Bethesda? 
Can I tell you from day one, this church is the fruit, not of a man or a woman, but of God. It's God who brings the increase. It's God who brings the dream to fulfillment. And this is a word for some of you in this room. Whose word are you going to believe? Somebody else's doubt? Somebody else's insecurity? In fact, even recently, full transparency. This is, this is a real thing we're walking out right now. Talking to a real estate agent. Many of you know we're in our Believe initiative. Believing God for a more permanent home. And we believe, we believe one here in Bethesda, in this area. I was talking to a real estate agent, and they told, they told Christina and I, what you're looking for, you're going to need a miracle. I looked at Christina, and I said, well, it's good news that we serve a miracle-working God. Because I don't know about you, but last time I read, he parted the Red Sea. He parted the Jordan River. He shut the mouths of lions. He raised the dead back to life. He opened the blind eyes. And if my God did that, he can give us a home. And can I tell you, hold on, hold on, hold on. Your dream from God will require a miracle from God. And if it does not require a miracle, I question if it's him. But he is the same God who parted seas. He'll do it for you. The same God who shut the mouths of lions, he's going to do it for you, church. And can I tell you, listen, listen, when we as a church move into our permanent home, he'll get all the glory. He'll get all the honor because it will be God that will bring it to fulfillment. You believe it, church. You believe it in your life? I do. I do. I want to pray for you. Bow your heads with me.